welcome to episode 89 of the Cricket Her Weekly. Now, apologies for the fact that we're a few days late this week. Um, we were in Northern Ireland over the weekend um, and we had a lot to celebrate, didn't we, Sid? Uh, well, the Irish certainly had a lot to celebrate. Um, they qualified for the next phase of the ICC Championship, which is basically the sort of future tours programme for women's cricket. So there'll be uh, tours either hosted in Ireland or travelling abroad to the likes of India and Australia and England. So fantastic news from uh, an Irish cricket perspective. And you know the locals certainly took it pretty well, didn't they, Raf? They were dancing in the streets of County Antrim on Friday night. They had they they decorated all the trees with coloured lights, and you know one of an elderly gentleman even brought his reindeer down to 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 celebrate the Irish qualifying. That was what they were celebrating, I assume. I think that was the Brashane Christmas Lights Parade turn on. Oh. Well, they were happy in it anyway, so... <laughs> so they all good were. news. Um, now, a couple of teams who won't be so happy with the turn of events, uh, because, of course, as everyone watching this knows, unfortunately, the ICC qualifying tournament had to be brought to an abrupt end because of this new strand of COVID. What am I meant to call it? Strain. Om- Omicron. Omicron. Is that really the name? Something like that. It sounds like something out of Star Wars. I apologise, I've got that totally wrong. Okay. Um, anyway, this new strain of COVID um, has unfortunately uh, wreaked havoc. Um, and that means that while Ireland have qualified um, for the next edition of the ICC Championship, um, Thailand, um, who have um, had a kind of meteoric rise in women's cricket in recent years um, and were going to finish top of their group in the qualifier, Um, have unfortunately been told that they won't be playing in the World Cup and they won't be in the next edition of the ITC Championship because um, they, uh, well, effectively they didn't have a ranking because of the fact that their men's team don't have a ranking and that's how the ICC do things. Um, And of course Sri Lanka um, miss out as well, uh, miss out on the World Cup. Um, yeah. So that's that's going to be disappointing for them. Um, their team was a bit ravaged with COVID anyway, so that was their kind of hopes were were hanging by a thread. But it's all been a bit of a a bit of a din- a bit of a disaster for the ICC, Sid. Yeah, I mean Sri Lanka miss out, you know, in a very disappointing way as well as Thailand. Sri Lanka miss out on the basis of um, you know a ranking based on five ODIs, which were all against Australia, England, and South Africa. Whereas Bangladesh get through on the basis of ODIs against Pakistan, but four of their counting five ODIs were against Zimbabwe who are you know I mean respect to Zimbabwe but they're not as good as England or Australia and if if they'd been playing England or Australia or South Africa then they'd have a rubbish ranking too so the system is clearly broken Um, and what we're seeing here is that something that the ICC needs to sort out they need to sort out the the way that they're basing all this stuff for the women's game on the way things are done for the men's game so if if you've got this status in the men's game you've got this status in the women's game that's just not going to work going forwards the ICC's own stated objective um, is to you know accelerate the growth of women's cricket in America for example in the United States uh, in particular Um, and you know you can't accelerate the growth of women's cricket in the United States which is a fantastic opportunity I agree and then tell them oh by the way but you've got no governance rights at all and you, you know you've, you've got no real status in this on the grounds that your men's team is no good when we're deliberately trying to make your women's team almost accelerate them way past the men's team so they really need to sort these things out and it's another case of you know where we really need some degree of separate governance for the women's game. Yeah absolutely well I, I totally agree with you Sid uh, funnily enough um, now, there have been calls on Twitter um, by Women's Cricket Blog, for one, um, to 
plead with the ICC to um, give Thailand a wildcard entry to the next edition of the championship. Um, and it's not too late. That could still happen. How likely do you think that is to happen, Sid? Well, I think the ICC are very ready to, ready to their rules, aren't they? And I don't think they're generally very likely to make exceptions, except if it's one of their top countries, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if this had been, I mean, you know, an extreme case, but if this had been India missing out, you can bet your bottom dollar they'd have found a way to, yes, to sort that. Quite. Anyway, we shall see. But, you know, we, we shall continue to, you know, do our very small bit to put pressure on the ICC to do that, because I think that that would be a good thing to do. Okay. Now, um, the other thing that we did in Northern Ireland over the weekend was we were able to watch the grand final of the WBBL, um, Scorchers um, against the Strikers. And I was very happy because uh, my team, the Scorchers, won their first ever WBBL title. So that was very exciting. Um, and it followed hot on the heels on a couple of, I'm not meant to call them semi-finals, am I? What am I meant to call them? Uh, predators and Terminators, something like that. I don't think that's quite right. It's almost right, Raph. <laughs> okay, I mean, I can, no never, one I can never remember what I meant to call them. And, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent person. Yes. Thank you. That was a bit too slow there. <laughs> I'm a reasonably intelligent... I didn't realise I was being asked to agree, Raph. <laughs> I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And if I can't remember, then I do think that um, it tells you something about this new system that they've chosen to adopt this year. I think it's overly complex. Um, I think that the problem with it is that it makes it very difficult for the sides who have finished third or fourth um, to progress to the grand final um, and to have a chance of them winning that match um, because effectively what we saw this week was that the strikers had to play three games in five days, I think it was, and that's quite a lot of cricket in a relatively short space of time. Um, when you're up against a team like the Scorchers who have just been, you know, sat on their heels for a few days having a nice rest and, um, you know, just doing a couple of media interviews... Um, so I think that that puts the um, the team who finished third or fourth at too much of a disadvantage. And from a Scorchers perspective, um, I suppose you could say, well, it was nice to progress straight to the final, but I would have liked to see a bit more of Divine and Mooney um, actually having a go at playing in a semi-final. Um, and I think if you don't back yourself as a team to win a semi-final, then you've got bigger problems. Um, so I just found it a bit complicated um, and I didn't really like it as a format. Okay, well, I mean, I liked it. Um, you know, we can agree to disagree on that one. Okay. Um, I, th I, th I think that, that it's nice to have the reward for finishing top of the ladder. Um, I do know what you mean, that it would have been pity that we didn't get to see quite as much of, you know, Beth Mooney and Sophie Devine. On the other hand, we saw a manager, Abe Wellington, you know, kind of really do her stuff in the, the two... Um, the two semi-finals, that's obviously not what we're supposed to call them, the two pre-finals, junior finals. Um, and she was fantastic. Um, I, I just... Uh, I, I think that by the time they got to the final, the real problem was that they weren't playing in Adelaide anymore and they couldn't bring the pitch with them. Um, the, the pitch just wasn't quite uh, turning square the way that the Adelaide one was. Um, it was obviously a drop-in pitch. I don't know if they'd played it at the Wacker, it would have made any difference. It certainly made a difference to the crowd. Um, with, it was, they, were, they were quite good on television. They're, they're very good at making the crowd feel bigger than it is. Um, I always go back to an instant, one of the first games I saw at the Emirates Stadium in London, Arsenal football men's team, um, and I remember the opposition scored, and there was total silence in the stadium. And then I went back home and watched the replay on the television, and when the opposition scored, there was a huge roar went up, because what they'd done is they positioned the effects microphone right in front of the 100 or so 
opposition fans yeah. <laughs> are well away at that moment from the 60,000 Arsenal fans. And they did a good job of that, but um, we have spoken to someone that was at the stadium that day and said the atmosphere was actually a bit flat with uh, only 15,000 people in a 60,000-seater stadium. So perhaps overreached a little bit there as well. But, um, you know, overall, we've had another good tournament. I think that the Australians are very pleased with the, the results in terms of what's been on television, that the, the viewing few figures have been great. Yeah, and um, 15,000 was a record crowd for oh, a WBBL yeah. standalone match, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so. a record crowd for a women's domestic match anywhere in the world, we yeah. believe. So. Okay. So that's actually quite exciting. Um, it is, it's kind of this balancing act, isn't it, between wanting to be ambitious for the competition versus you, yeah. you know, it would have been probably, it would have felt much better and much nicer if it had been played in the WACA, which does have a lot of character. Yeah, and I think the manager Jay Wellington might have appreciated that. But on the other hand, you know, the local team got to make their choice and they lifted the trophy and good for them. Sophie Devine's, you know, won a trophy, which obviously is uh, great for her and great for her biggest fan who happens to be right here with me now. <laughs> I wonder if she knows. <laughs> okay, well, that's WBBL wrapped up for another year. We'll have to wait and see what happens next time around. Um, but closer to home in other news, um, we've had a bit of exciting news about um, one player in particular, Tash Farrant, um, who has regained her England contract that she lost um, nearly three years ago now. And she's actually made history because she is the first player... Um, ever to uh, lose an England women's central contract and then to regain it. Um, so, you know, she's, she's a great player, um, she's a great person and it's really fantastic to see her being rewarded after what's been a bit of a difficult period of kind of going away and, and having to reflect and then um, being brought back in via one of these um, regional um, domestic and um, professional contracts. Um, so great news for her, isn't it, Sid? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that going forwards, what we're probably likely to see is more of this sort of slightly shorter term contracts. Obviously, necessarily, what we've seen in the past sort of seven or eight years is that the people who got contracts at the beginning have largely kept them. And, you know, they've, they've, they've become very long term contracts. Mm -hmm. Whereas now that there are the regional contracts, I think we're going to see more people stepping between the two as, you know, different people come into form and they slightly outclass other people. Um, and the important thing is that, you know, we can come of keep improving like that and everyone's got to keep fighting you know Tash herself says that you know she's had to work hard to become a better, better player um, and you know she's gone there and done it another player that we've read about this week is Kirsty Gordon of course who hasn't got a contract back but she is back with the England squad she's uh, flown with the England squad to Amman this week um, to be part of their pre-Ashes training camp so she's obviously in the plan ahead of the Ashes yeah. having you know lost her England contract obviously very disappointing for her but you know she decided to take the same decision that Tash did to, to sort of stand and fight um, she had a, a very good domestic season um, you know Lightning didn't have a good season but she did she, she was did. Uh, one of the leading wicket takers on the domestic scene she did really well in the 100 really well in the RHF um, and got her England you know squad place back yeah. albeit not a central contract but you know maybe there's you now she could be also one heading back towards a central contract yeah we'd previously speculated that um, given that there's been quite a gap now since her last match for England that it's possible that she um, you know might have been considering making her a switch back to her native Scotland um, as we've said before she's not made any secret of the fact that she still is you know um, a, a Scot at heart and that's where her um, kind of emotional loyalty is yeah like. I think that's totally fair enough yeah absolutely um, but obviously you know it is exciting for her to get picked and and if you know maybe if somebody dangles the carrot of the ashes or the World Cup in front of her then that's quite a big carrot yeah, and her last game was, of course, in the Ashes, in the 2019 Ashes of the Test in Taunton. So let's see if we see her back this winter. So she's going to become a Test specialist. 
Well. You get one game every two years, <laughs> yeah, Kirsty. Great. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting point that you make about um, you know the um, potential for the central contracts to become less fixed um, and people to move more easily between the teams. Um, it's something that you would think that we would see more of in Australia, um, where their domestic professional system is much stronger um, and um, much deeper than ours. Um, and actually, the domestic players are, are financially better rewarded. Um, even over there, we're not necessarily seeing that ease of movement between um, the Australian side and the and the state and WBBL sides, I don't think. Um, it does feel a little bit like there is this real attitude on behalf of the coaches um, of a kind of sunk cost fallacy, whereby, well, we've invested in this player by giving them a contract. Um, and therefore we're very keen to hang on to them. Um, and players don't tend to get brought in just for um, you know the odd series um, in, in Yeah, that the way. contracts are almost tenured positions, aren't they? Oh, well, you know, and, so. that, and that's maybe not how it should be, but I think that the issue that we've still got in England is that the domestic contracts are worth... Um, generally worth quite a lot less than any even your bottom tier of England contract, um, let alone your kind of tier twos and your tier ones of England contracts. Um, and actually transitioning between those two um, is is hard Still because, potentially quite painful on the old wallet. Well, yeah, absolutely. If you've got a mortgage to pay um, and you suddenly get bumped down from an, an international to a domestic contract, I think that that is, you, you could really feel the hit there. Um, and um, you know, really, if we do want that flexibility, then the ECB need to making be making it a real priority um, to raise the level of those domestic contracts. Yeah, the PCA perhaps should institute some sort of minimum wage that they could apply to to, to the women and. Yeah, yes. yeah. They already have a minimum wage. Apparently, it just doesn't apply to women's cricket. And on that bombshell. <laughs> Okay, and finally this week, a um, little bit more serious to finish up with. Um, we did talk last week in in the last edition of the Cricket Her Weekly um, about race issues and and racism um, in light of the Azim Rafiq evidence before the UK Parliament. Um, so the ECB have now announced their action plan um, to tackle racism and promote inclusion and diversity at all levels of the game. Now, I do sometimes wonder if the ECB or, or members of the ECB do watch um, or listen to the Cricket Her Weekly because in our last episode we made the point that... I'm sure Tom Harrison is there jumping out of bed every Sunday morning. God, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's Cricket Her Weekly day. Yes. He I'm must sure. have been devastated on Sunday when, when, we, yeah. when we didn't show. Poor Tom. Didn't know what to do over his Sunday brunch. Um, anyway... Uh, more seriously, um, what I was what I was going to allude to was the fact that in the last episode of the Cricket Her Weekly, we talked about the fact that we felt that um, the women's regions and the women's game hadn't really been included in these really serious conversations about the future of English cricket and, and diversity and inclusion. And actually, the statement that the ECB eventually put out um, actually uh, definitively stated that the women's regions had been consulted and had been um, a, a yep. sig. sig- signatus they had signed up to this new um to this new plan um so um and and i think that it also specifically mentions um dressing room culture in the men's and in the women's game as being something that the ecb wants to monitor um and wants to ensure um kind of is is inclusive um in all respects um so yeah it's 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 interesting um it feels like 
a step forward, Sid, although there's still some scepticism around it? Well, I mean, I can, it's kind of said everything that the, that the plan was, or the, the, the action plan was delivered several days late, apparently because the men's counties were arguing about female diversity targets on their boards. So the ECB wanted to set some higher targets for the number of women on county boards and the existing county boards, obviously, whom are, you know, 99% men objected to this. Um, and there was some back and forth and that was what delayed the whole thing by several days and that's just like feels very kind of emblematic of where of where we are yeah. and uh, obviously you know we all support these 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 moves and you know nobody's going to say you know we're we're, <laughs> we're against the what the ECB say they're trying to do but you know we do need to make sure that you know we hold continue to hold them to account for actions that kind of back up these words because you know words are actually quite easy but actually changing the culture of the game that's that's really tough you know if and if they can change the culture of the game particularly some of the the, the horrible things that we've seen and heard over the last few weeks then you know that's when you really deserve a 2 million pound bonus um, I'm not sure that you necessarily deserve a two million pound bonus for um, throwing a lot of money at the hundred and then going, yay, we threw a lot of money at the hundred. Yeah, I mean, I think that the point that you've just made about the men's counties being really reluctant to um, accept these targets for gender quotas on their boards um, actually shows that you know we've been talking about the English cricket as being institutionally racist. Well, it's still institutionally sexist, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, it does look a lot like that. Oh wow! You sound that was a bit that was a bit Tom Harrison esque. <laughs> it looks a bit like it looks a bit like it, but I'm not prepared to say it actually is. Well, no, I mean, you know, it, it is. I don't think there's any doubt that that both of those things apply, Raf. And you know, it's disappointing, but you know, we need to continue to do what we do best and hold the ECB to account for all those things. I think that, you know, the reason I'm slightly reluctant to start talking about sexism is that I do feel that, you know, the race issue is in some ways more important at the moment. Um, and it's certainly the issue that everyone's talking about. And that's what where, you know, the focus right now perhaps needs to be. But, you know, we shouldn't drop the ball on the, the, the gender issues either and ensuring that the women's game continues to be promoted and that, you know, that that women's voices continue to be heard within the game, uh, as well as you know voices of you know all colours and and faiths and sexualities and what have you. Thanks, Sid. Okay, well we finally got round to it. Apologies again for the delay, but we hope you enjoy this week's edition of the Cricket Her Weekly, and we'll see you in a few days' time. Bye for Bye. now.